the media landscape in America is busted. Americans are on to the omissions, the half-truths, and the outright lies being propagated against we, the people. Your host, Tom Harris, will bring you the other side of the story. most remarkable things about the climate debate is virtually everything environmental activists and their allies in the media and government say is wrong. Not just a little bit off, but dead wrong. To highlight this, various groups led by Steve Malloy, a widely recognized leader in the fight against junk science, just released a report titled Wrong Again. It highlights an unlucky 13 climate claims from 2023 and before that didn't survive the year. The report is presented by six groups, including one called Truth in Energy and Climate, headed up by Wisconsin-based Frank Lassay, who's my guest today. In Frank's campaign against the unfounded idea that our emissions of carbon dioxide are causing a climate emergency, he meets with politicians, regularly appears on TV and radio, and has articles published in media across the political spectrum. Frank earned a Bachelor of Science in 1986 from the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay, majoring in humanistic studies. He has experience in real estate, insurance, and politics, having served as Ledgeview, Wisconsin Town Board Chair from 1993 to 1997. Frank also served in the Wisconsin State Senate and the Wisconsin State Assembly. Frank's website is Truth in Energy and Climate, and the URL is truthinenergyandclimate.com, a link to which we'll include under the podcast when it goes up on Monday. It's a wonderful place. It's very colorful and very entertaining and very educational on nearly every imaginable topic in energy and climate. So welcome to the show, Frank. Oh, thanks very much for having me. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and you know, going going to it's almost um, upside down world for in the I would call it propaganda. I think we are on purpose being told many many things about climate and the energy policy that comes from climate um, that just aren't true. They're they're and, and we're told on a regular basis. And people like you and I and others are, are are not supposed to be pointing these things out. I mean that that's disinformation when we disagree. Or say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here's some four fa facts that disagree with what you're telling us. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy because, you know, as I said, I've never seen a field before where virtually every argument they make is either wrong or it's the opposite. You know, it's like they say extreme weather will increase if it warms in the Arctic. Well, actually, it's the opposite. Extreme weather will reduce because the pressure and temperature gradients reduce. But uh, yeah, it's amazing. I get the impression that if you're on the side of the angels and you're saying what you're supposed to say, that you can make any mistakes you want. <laughs> well, absolutely. You, you, they, the other side of this argument can be confident that they won't be fact-checked. And they can be confident that virtually anything that we say uh, will be fact-checked and, and spun. If they can find any way to spin it or find one part that isn't right. And if they can't do that, then they just attack you. Oh, you took money from the oil interests. Um, you know, oh, you you did you did this that or the other thing. They they go about. Oh, you're you're not qualified, but they'll listen to somebody like you know Greta Thornburg, a, a teenage dropout. <laughs> but you yeah. know, other people have looked at this. We well, you you you're not able to it. Or like Will Happer from Princeton, a, a physicist who just really has studied the climate, and it is about physics. It's about the sun, the absorption, the reflection of the heat from the earth. 
um, how much that retains energy. That those are all physics besides the weather part of it. But oh, well, but he's not a climatologist, so we can't really you know <laughs> listen to anything that he has. So it's the game that these people play, and, and unfortunately, most people are going about their lives, and they they don't have the time to figure this all out. They they see some headlines, and, and if they try to go on the internet and and discover it for themselves, it's really hard. And unfortunately, Google's in on it as well. Um, and we'll provide you with this information or the Wisconsin or the uh, WEF that's meeting in Davos right now or the UN's standard party line. Or if you ask AI, they will give you what uh, all of that information is. And if you're not, a quote, you know, paying a lot of attention to this, which most people don't have the time to do or the inclination or the education or background, um, you, you're going to be led to believe what's wrong. Yeah. Well, Bing AI is my favorite for getting technical information about, you know, what kind of mouse should I buy or whatever. But when it comes to climate change, oh, my gosh, it's been completely sabotaged by the originators, by the people that programmed it. And whenever I've put in, well, did you know that, you know, X, Y, Z is actually not true? They come back to me and they say, oh, that's talking points from deniers. And that's what the computer's telling me. <laughs> I say, well, no, it's it's the. I got an argument the other day with it. You'd laugh at Frank. Um, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has a database of extreme weather records for the whole of the U.S. on a statewide basis, as you know. And I pointed out to them. I said, well, you realize in 2022 there was not a single record set. And Bing AI got back and said, no, that's not. That's wrong. Lots of records set. I say, well, no. Here's the, the URL for the database. There's no records. There were two actually set in 2023. There's now been a new one added. But uh, biggest hailstone in Colorado was five and a half inches in diameter. <laughs> well, that would be like a real bombardment. But um, yeah, so Bing AI just will not accept. It's like Wikipedia. They just will not accept the real world data. Well, and Wikipedia is run by leftists, um, unfortunately. And they, they are biased. And you, you know, it's things like the discredited uh, Michael Mann hockey stick that uh, he invented from some tree rings and he sell, he, you know, talk about cherry picking, um, but he supposedly made a thousand year record of the temperature that erased the, the medieval warm period when Vikings lived in Greenland and Vikings grew barley and Vikings had milk cows there, which means they could get grass for them and they weren't importing it all by boats before they froze out. <laughs> and then, oh, but that, that really didn't exist. It was just local. I mean, and there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of studies from around the earth or from around, around the world um, that the earth was warm in many, many other locations during the medieval warm period. Uh, there, there are a lot of proxies to that effect, but uh, yet that's still there in Wikipedia, and they pretend as if it's an honest uh, record, and it is not an honest record, and they will not show the others. Um, and th there are lots and lots of examples of that um, that we have, and even really now, um, you know, the hottest year ever. We, that's part of the the um, wrong again series, but you know, a lot of that, and we've passed the you know global warming to. Uh, now the earth's boiling, I guess. It's a, you know, they, they kind of turn up the rhetoric. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, crazy. Part of it is, I think that they're, you know, they're 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 worried they're losing the narrative and that people aren't being frightened enough. And they really need to frighten us because in Europe, this is really happening now, but people are getting sick and tired of the costs of the energy policies and the other policies that they have in mind for all of us. And they mm -hmm. don't like it. 
And yeah. then we've been lied to that wind and solar are going to make our electric bills cheaper and that you can run a full-time grid on wind and solar and you won't freeze to death up in Canada or in Wisconsin. <laughs> um, yeah. We just had below, below zero Fahrenheit weather. So, you know, it's quite, quite a below Celsius. And, um, you know, they, they tell us that these things that just aren't true can happen. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, people are starting to wise up a little bit or at least starting to ask questions. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, taking a step back, how did you become interested in climate change? Because, you know, your original bachelor wasn't in that area, but what got you going on this area? Well, you know, it was probably 20 years ago. I was um, in the state Wisconsin legislature, and I was kind of un unusual in that, um, you know, I, you know, our... our, our um, Representative bodies are truly representative. There, there are some people who really put in a lot of time and effort, and there are others that that aren't or or just have various focus. But I always dug into the really important issues of the day, and I went to a, a conference for a couple of days on climate, uh, talking about global warming. This is probably 20 years ago, one of the first ones put on by the Heartland Institute, and they had a lot of different experts there talking about it. And I was really interested. I didn't know what to think. I mean, I, I really didn't know what to think. I hadn't really studied any of this area. And the thing that really kind of my epiphany, and if anybody listening to this knows what village this is, I'd, I'd love to know what it what it was. But they were talking about in the French Alps, there was a advancing glacier during the 1800s. And it had advanced down this mountain and it had crushed a couple villages. And it was advancing on this great, big, beautiful Catholic church. And it already crushed half the village. So they had a big ceremony, the bishop came, they all prayed, and that was the year that the the um, the glacier started retreating. So it ah. got to be within a foot and a half of this big cathedral, and rather than continuing down and crushing it, it has been receding ever since, and that was in 1850, long before yeah. CO2 <laughs> and man could have caused any of this problem. I said, well, you know, if it's natural and it's been warming since then, and now we're blaming it on all on us when it really is not unusual at all. Uh, I said, well, you know, I'm onto something here. And then I tried to raise the alarm on this that, hey, you know, they're using this global warming as a scam to drive bad energy policy. And I very, very clever what they've been doing. And they've been churning behind the scenes doing this exactly as I would get from, from people within the legislature. Well, what laws can we react to? What bills can we react to? What, what, what is there? What, what, are they, what are they doing? What could I say no to? or yes to, and it's, well, there's really not all that much out there, but well, we need renewable standards now. And, um, you know, that that's a, for instance, so then that, that was the kickoff for wind and solar and the federal government started subsidizing it. And, uh, but I, I looked at this and I said, you know, it's natural. And, and I still believe that it is natural. And the use of language, I think is really interesting in that, you know, we're supposed to keep our warming to, you know, one, one and a half, two degrees Celsius, you know, maybe three, four degrees Fahrenheit and, um, you know, before, beyond or warmer than pre-industrial times. Well, pre-industrial times were called the Little Ice Age. Yeah. <laughs> I think several degrees warmer than the Little Ice Age is really a good thing. Uh -huh. um, and, and a bit, a bit warmer yet, and facts bear this out. The temperate areas of the world aren't warming very much at all. The equator areas are hardly warming at all. Why? They get all the, all the direct sunlight they need and have been. And um, it's the and it's really only the North Pole where the, the original greenhouse theory said both poles should be warming, but only the North Pole is warming. Contrary to what Google would have you believe, contrary <laughs> to what the leftists would have you believe, they've cleverly hidden studies that show that the uh, Antarctica has not warmed in 70 years. 
It's experienced some of the coldest temperatures it's ever had recently. And yes, there is one area that is melting, but it has a lot of undersea volcanoes. And well, that peninsula, that peninsula. Yeah, the Thwaites Peninsula. And if you Google this, you, you'd think the whole continent, the size of, of almost all the size of North America, uh, minus Mexico, is is melting, but it's certainly not. It's cold. All the coal, all of it's colder except for that one part. Yeah. Uh, well, you, well, you know, Frank, I always wonder. I mean, what animal or plant is going to care if it's minus fifty instead of minus fifty-five in the winter at night in the Arctic? Uh, and that's, of course, you know what they're talking about is that it would be slightly warmer at night in the winter in the Arctic. I mean, is there any creature that would care if it got five degrees warmer? <laughs> Well, you could freeze to death in, you know, maybe 12 or 15 seconds instead of 10. I mean, it's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it really is ridiculous. But yeah, when you start to really get into the, the actual facts of it, as you pointed out, our winters are a bit, bit more mild. Our, you know, virtually everywhere, our days are not hotter. Um, mm -hmm. We aren't having more, contrary to that, there's another one of those propagandas, and it fits in with, you know, all the hottest year ever. We are not having more hot days. My memory wasn't faulty from when I was a kid. Now we all have central air, or many do. And you know, when I was young, a lot of people didn't. We didn't. But it, there were a lot of 90 and 100 degree days. In Wisconsin, we could count on getting quite a few in July and August. It was hot. Uh -huh. We yeah. rarely get 90 de degree days now and almost never get a 100 degree day. But the mm -hmm. big difference is, is when you do an average temperature, you take the temperature high from the, 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 the hottest part of the day and the temperature low, usually from the middle of the night, and you average those. Our nights aren't as cold. So we have well, a lot that's, of Yeah, that's exactly right. And in fact, when I testified before the City of Ottawa Environment Committee, I said, yeah, the average temperature of Ottawa is rising in the summer. But it's irrelevant because the maximum temperature is not rising. It's just a little bit less cool at night. And nobody cares. <laughs> it's and just somehow dumb. That's a, and somehow that's a bad thing. Yeah. Somehow, if it was several degrees warmer at night, this would be a bad thing. It <laughs> wouldn't be a bad thing. It would be just fine. And yeah, as exactly. we know, the Earth is greening because of additional CO2. NASA, you can Google it up, folks. You can push in NASA 2016 um, um, CO2 fertilization. They still haven't, they haven't taken that down or hit it. But there's a great study there, and it shows you that the world is greening. And it's greening in a lot of places we really want it to green, like around the desert. And yeah. Why, and why is that, folks? Because CO2 is necessary plant food. Without it, we all die. Because without plants and phytoplankton that provide us with all the oxygen in the world, we, and with carbohydrates, fuel for animals, and you know, fuel for the animals, uh, the animals that we eat, um, we would die off. And CO2, when there's more of it in the air, the plants have these little breathing holes to take in CO2, just like we have a mouth and a nose. They have less of them, so they lose less water. They lose less water vapor. <laughs> so they have less stomata, they're called, holes in their leaves. So they breathe easier, they grow faster, they grow bigger, and they grow in hotter environments with less and tolerate less water better. Those right. are all good things, all good yeah. things. So, yeah, I, I'll put up onto the podcast on Monday when this interview goes up the actual link to that, because it's interesting. They also have a, a very nice little video, about 60 seconds, in which they have music, you know, very upbeat. Bum, 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 and, and it's showing, hey, everything's great. Like this CO2 rise is is wonderful. It's a good thing. People like Craig Itso 
who's an agriculture specialist. I mean, people like that are saying we should hope CO2 doubles because even then it's still a trace gas, but it'll be a lot better for plants. Well, and, and that's one of those other crazy things is it'll take two, at present rates of increase, CO2 will take 200 years to double, 200 years to double, 400 years to triple, and triple doesn't even get us to the optimal amount for most plants to grow even better. It's about right. 1,500 to 2,000 parts per million or even more. And that so we're slowly gaining more CO2 and more CO2 is good. And the other part, as you mentioned, is the trace gas. I think what's also important is most people don't have any idea that the most abundant, important, impactful greenhouse gas is water vapor. Most people don't even know that water vapor is a greenhouse gas. And water vapor is far more, more abundant. It's about 50 times more abundant than CO2. About 2% of our atmosphere on average is water vapor. It varies from about 4% in the, in the tropics when it's 87 degrees Fahrenheit, when it's warm, it can hold more water vapor. And when it's cold, um, we get rain. We get precipitation or snow if it's cold enough. So yeah. on average, the world has about 2% water vapor. And we have about 0.04% CO2, about 420 parts per million, versus 20,000 parts per million of water vapor. 20,000 parts per water vapor. That's 50 times more abundant. And what's even crazier is not only are, are the, the climate craze, I, I think there are truly some evil people who want to gain control over everyone. And then there are some climate cultists or climate religionists, or as the communists used to call the true believers who knew very little, um, useful idiots. Uh, yeah. So is there any of those folks out there who might actually, I'm sure we've turned you off by now and you aren't listening, <laughs> but um, they truly are useful any idiots because, you know, Lord forgive them for they know not what they do. Uh, yeah, more CO2 sure. is a benefit to everyone. But where I'm going with this is methane. They moved on from using the climate crisis, global warming to control and get a, try to get a handle on very bad energy policy for the West to gaining control over our food supply and limiting fertilizer. And mm -hmm. saying methane is bad and cows give off methane, so that's bad. What about vegans? I mean, vegans have a little more gas than everybody else, is that bad? But, yeah. you know, methane, there's 50 times more water vapor in the atmosphere than CO2, and there's 10,000 times, 10,000 times more water vapor in, in the atmosphere than methane. There's 200 times more CO2 in the atmosphere than methane. And methane is growing very slowly in the atmosphere, and it'll take three or 400 years for methane to double. And when it does double, it'll only be 5,000 parts per, uh, comparatively, there'll only be 5,000 more <laughs> times of water vapor than there is methane. So they've used methane and now, and nitrous oxide is the other one that they're after. Never mind that the majority of 78% of the atmosphere is nitrogen and 20% is oxygen, but we need to let, limit nitrous oxide fertilizers, those two components, because they're <laughs> bad and they're greenhouse gases and they're tiny. There's like 50,000 parts per million of water vapor or more compared yeah. to nitrous oxide in the atmosphere. It, it's, yeah. it, this stuff is nuts when you start to even know a little bit about it. And that's why they need to, I think, shut it down. That's why they're talking about trying to stop information like I just gave you uh, from getting out there. Because I think people who even have a little bit of critical thinking skills will start to go, what? What? Really? 
Yeah, it's nuts. Well, when, before we go on to the wrong again report, I was wondering if you could tell me about any negative impacts on people and institutions and institutions because of the climate scare that you saw when you were in politics. You know, when wind turbines, for example, would be an example. Um, yeah. What did you see with regards to negative impacts of the climate scare? Well, wind towers truly are um, they're bad on a lot of different levels. Um, but wind towers, when they're too close to people's homes, and I had a lot of them in my state Senate district, and, and I really went to bat for those constituents. In, in Wisconsin and in many states, the local governments have no ability to regulate it or make sure that they aren't grow, uh, built too close to people's homes. And when they're within a mile of someone's house, um, you know, or you know, a kilometer and a half, it, it, that's too close. And a lot of people, not everyone, but many people get headaches they have trouble sleeping, they get ill, they get nauseous, they, they get inner ear problems. They have a lot of different problems. Uh, the, the light flicker, when, when it's not all the time, but when they're spinning and the sun is shining, and, and I've seen some videos of this, they will trigger they will trigger epileptic seizures for people who have wow. epilepsy. That, that light flicker will trigger those, those epileptic seizures. Um, you know, there, there are a variety of things is besides killing bats, Canada, uh, you know, Canada did a study and there are three bat species, migratory bat species that are, are put on the endangered list and they attribute it, the Canadian government attributes it to uh, the wind towers killing migratory bats. So migratory birds and bats fly through it. And what I learned about bats doing a little bit of a deep study in that area is part of why they're they're really susceptible to this is when those giant uh, uh, turbines are spinning, they kill insects and they maim insects when they hit the insects. And those insects, you know, kind of careening off of those towers attracts bats who want to eat them. And then they get whacked by the by the turbines. And the other part is, is those turbines spin and they create a, a huge vacuum um, around them. And when the bats fly into that vacuum, it explodes their ears and it damages their, their radar. Oh, so wow. it kills them on several different levels. And bats are important. I mean, people go, oh, what about bats? Well, they eat a lot of insects and they're part of nature. I mean, they might be a little scary to look at, but they're part of nature that seems, you know, this whole thing that, you know, go green and we don't care about any of it, as well as there's highly documented. There just recently a, another, um, uh, wind tower uh, organization had pled guilty to killing bald eagles, which are protected in the United States oh, wow. or a national bird. But they they attribute at least 150 bald eagles killed. And of course, there's a lot more of those because most wind towers are roped off, fenced off, and they don't want anybody coming nearer or checking underneath them to find these sort of things. Um, yeah. the, the other major issue is, is that these they're 50 stories tall. When you build them up, and particularly in Wisconsin, uh, the best places for them, and most of them have been tapped out, um, are is in the Niagara Escarpment. And I think that even travels right up into Canada. It's limestone. It's very porous. Um, it's easy for um, water and pollutants to pour down and, and get into the bedrock and get into the system of, of water in there and, and pollute down below. So when they build a wind tower really high, they have to put a whole bunch of concrete and a huge concrete footing down into the ground. When they break all that open and put that footing into the ground, all around the edges of that create a great conduit for, for uh, pollutants and bacteria and things that shouldn't be in the groundwater to get into the groundwater. And, yeah. and those are just some, some of the things, that, but there's a, 
And, and I, I think I could, I sent you the links. I think I, I know I did actually, Tom, on the Shirley Wind Farm. That was in my district in, in Brown County, Wisconsin, by Green Bay, Wisconsin. And there's a nice 20 minute video on there of regular people talking about what happened to them and their cows. One of the farmers was talking about how his cows stopped producing milk and how some of his cows died and were dying. And, and you know, people, well, you can't blame all that on the wind towers. But they didn't have that problem before the wind towers came to their neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Then sure. they had that problem. And what's interesting in the, the Shirley example is that the um, there was a study done and the Brown County government, Department of Health, first went on record, the county board went on record that this was causing human health problems. And um, then they hired a county health director who came back and reversed the decision and said there's no evidence of that. But then in an open re records request of this, her emails to, to people were saying, you know, when I go there, I get really bad migraine headaches. And then I need to take some, I need to take some ibuprofen before I go because I get headaches. But then she, you know, said, nope, nope, there's no, no evidence that anything is bad. It's just yeah. really interesting how the green industrial complex has, I think, used the carrot and the stick to their benefit and not really care about regular people. Yeah, uh, so they're the they're the real they're the real deniers. <laughs> well, they are. They they really are the deniers of the real facts uh, of of the matter of what really is happening to our environment with wind and solar. Uh, now yeah. with solar, I mean, in in Wisconsin there is a um, solar installation in the um, northern middle part of our state. They have approval and they're beginning to do construction on the first two square miles of solar panels. And it's the first installation of 10 square miles of solar panels. Uh, 10 square miles is a whole lot of solar yeah. panels. Now, those solar panels, and, and these are studies that I'm going to tell you, that, so this isn't just Frank talking, that they raise the temperature in the summer when it's sunny 20 to 30 degrees above them. So not a big deal when you have just a, you know, a few square feet or a few acres. But when you have 10 and 20 square miles of these, the heat coming off of those are, are going to create climate change. You're going to get local climate change of a variety of different sorts. Um, I was just doing a, a, um, some work on wind towers, for instance. And wind towers, there's a Harvard study. I'm amazed that it ever got out. But there's a Harvard study that says if we build enough wind towers to really provide a lot of electricity, and the United States, United States has 80,000 wind towers now, and they provide about 9%, 10% of our electricity. So we need at least 50,000, 500,000 more or more. Oh, and if we had, I don't know where we'd put all of them because you really, we've kind of filled up the Eastern half of the United States with them. So they really have to go in the Western half. People aren't going to be real happy about that. But number two is, is this Harvard study suggests that it's going to raise the temperature by about a half a degree Celsius. And there's another study out of West Texas that says it's cumulative every decade it raises the temperature by three quarters of a Celsius, uh, a degree Celsius. So we're going to warm the earth to cool the earth, to save the <laughs> earth from overheating is this, this upside down world of climate science and climate energy bad policy. So, so it sounds like we should start a new campaign. Stop global warming. Take down all the turbines. <laughs> Actually, that's not a bad idea. I mean, we should go on the office.
<laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, after the break, I'm going for a break in a, in a few seconds. But after the break, I'd like to go through the wrong again mistakes of the press and the government that's in the document. And I just give the audience a taste of what's coming. We're going to ask Frank, are the oceans really boiling like Al Gore says? <laughs> Cofix RX nasal solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code out loud. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's foreign protein cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, foreign protein cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. AmericaOutloud.news was an idea, a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. The First Amendment is alive and well. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. back with Frank Lassay. He was actually in the Wisconsin State Assembly and the Wisconsin State Senate, and he was describing to us 
what actually happens when these policies are brought in and the poor people who have wind turbines that he fought for. So that's really great. Just before we go on to the wrong again report, Frank, is it very common for politicians to fight on behalf of people that are being subjected to horrible impacts from wind turbines? Um, sometimes there are some and in different states it is happening. I know Kansas that has, I think, over 4,000 wind towers and, and they want to put up thousands more. I mean, you go from 80,000 to 500,000, do the math. Um, mm. there, you do have individuals. And then the problem is, is that those who are not affected or those in urban areas and virtually all the Democrats in our, our, our state, all the Democrats, orthodoxy support wind no matter what, wind and solar no matter what. And then all you have to do is peel off. And that's why I wasn't successful in really protecting my constituents is I did get two votes. And usually you don't like to bring things to a vote, at least in the Wisconsin legislature, unless you have all the votes and you know it's going to get passed. And in both times, I failed by one vote because one one very closely divided. All the Democrats voted against it and one Republican went along with them. So we, we didn't we didn't win the day. And I felt real badly about that because this these things are real. And I know you'll have links to it for those who want to take a look and maybe getting some near them. I mean, if they're several miles away you, and you just have to look at them, I think you kind of get used to them a little bit. But some places you look at it and you go, oh, my goodness. I mean, it's a whole plethora, hundreds of them in a, in a particular area. And, and they do affect the downstream um vegetation, uh, climate. They dry it. They warm it a bit. Um, so they do have real world effects. They they take the energy out of the wind and change things. Um, yeah. So, you no, know, it's hard. And it's also hard because the utilities and the orthodoxy and the studies out there, very hard to find any any credible study. And, and that's, you know, another thing from my experience has been the people who pay for studies get what they're looking for or the yeah. study gets shelved. So if they can't prove what they want or at least pretend to, like I'm, I'm putting together a, a handout in, on uh, wind and why for local people who want to oppose wind. And, and one of the areas is it does negatively affect your property value. But there's a study out done by Berkeley and the headline, it says that it doesn't have any effect at all. And But you dig into it and it says, well, if you're located within a mile of, of a wind tower, then you're likely to see 11% decline in the value of your home. 11%, temp, you know, that, that's significant, one-tenth the value. So that, that's real. But then they say if you live further away than that, well, really it has no effect at all. So therefore it has no effect at all. And that's <laughs> not fair. That's not right. Um, but yeah. that's the sort of stuff we deal with. And that's buried in the report, of course. Yeah. Um, and well, you know, I'm... I, I'm going to put under I'm going to put under the podcast on when it goes up on Monday an article in the Chatham newspaper, Chatham, Ontario, and that region has had a lot of wind turbines, and actually they've had to break through the um, the black shale. And what's happening in some places is that in fact it's totally ruining the groundwater and the aquifers. And I actually have a little sample that I was given of what this lady is seeing in her wells ever since the turbines came up. And she said for generations in her area, they were able to drink unfiltered well water and they had no troubles. And then shortly after the turbines went up, she showed me, this is what we get. So I'll actually put a picture of that under the podcast because that's another issue that I wish people would look into more. Yeah, that, that's a very important issue. And they, they need to have a you know your 50-story building that has a lot of stress with spreading giant spinning blades that takes on a lot of wind. 
they they need to have a very solid solid foundation and they they put that into the bedrock which allows for bad things to get in the groundwater it's another one Yeah. of those negative effects that just gets swept under the rug um and those those are major things in addition to our our electric rates should have gone down not gone up because natural gas is about one quarter of the cost it was because of the miracle of fracking than it was 20 years ago that's one major input of it and When you have a fully paid off coal plant, a coal plant will last 50 to 75 years. They'll pay for it like your home mortgage. Many people buy them in America anyway, a 30 year home mortgage. They'll, they'll finance a coal plant over 40 years. Once that's paid off, all you're paying for is coal and maintenance. You're no longer paying any capital cost at all. It becomes very low cost uh, form of electricity, but they, they don't want that low cost form of electricity. Um, and that's another part of all of this is China and India are using more coal and plan to use a lot more coal, oil and natural gas to grow their economies and provide billion, literally billions of people with more energy. And no matter what we do, and John Kerry, the climate envoy who's retiring now to go work on Joe, Joe Biden's campaign, is, um, you know, tells us that even if the United States went to net zero, Uh, no CO2, I'll, I'll put it all, it wouldn't make any difference to the climate. So why would we spend a whole bunch of money that we don't have buying things from the Chinese for no benefit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy, eh? Because when we have strict regulations, many companies just move their operations to China, and then they have virtually no regulations, and so the emissions actually increase. So if you actually cared about CO two, you'd want the industries to stay here, surely. Well, yeah, we're cleaner, better. And the other big thing is, is when people have enough energy, uh, like the Canadians and the Americans and developed world, West, Western Europe, they take care of their environment. The, the plastics in the oceans that the green, green folks like to complain about, they're not coming out of the Canadian and American and, and Western Europe rivers, lake rivers. They're coming out of Asia. They're coming out of Africa. They're coming from poor places in the world. And, and again, it doesn't take a lot of critical thinking to go, you know, if I'm struggling and have to go out every day and cut some wood or find some dried dung, some poo, or some crop waste to burn so I can cook my meal and warm my, my, my small, modest home, if, I'm, if I don't have to do that and I don't have to cut down forests and create charcoal and burn forests for fuel, then the forest can grow back. The animals can come back. And the whole whole system is way better off. And if I have enough economic opportunity and wealth, I can put things in a landfill instead of throwing them in the river. And Yeah. the world is better <laughs> off. And yeah, apparently, the same thing with, you know, shipping apparently, our production to China. yeah, It's apparently crazy. something like 90% of all the plastic in the ocean comes from rivers in Southeast Asia because they're just throwing it in the river. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so I have a test for you, Frank. I'm going to go through some of these Zooms and ask Frank Lassay for his comments on the Wrong again. Okay, we're going to go through those again. Al Gore, when he talks about, you know, the release of 600,000 Hiroshima-class bombs every day, this boiling the oceans. Are we really boiling the oceans, Frank? <laughs> Oh, that is just the craziest, craziest talk in the world. I mean, it, it just really is unbelievable. And, um, and the oceans are warmed primarily by the sun and the top areas of the sun. 
And any warmth that would come from down below where it's cold will come up to the surface. So and that's something that's taken for granted in all of this talk about uh, global warming is the internal part, the, the core of the earth is extremely hot and it's leaking heat through the volcanoes. And, and there's a lot of volcanoes on the seafloor. And all that heat that's being spewed out comes up to the surface and it warms the ocean. It's very hard to warm a, a, a glass of water with the air. I mean, it, it just is. And we, we are not boiling the oceans. They were a little <laughs> bit warmer, but now they're getting cold again. And a lot has to do with whether the cold water from the bottom of the ocean gets well is upwelling and that makes it cooler. Or if there's downwelling, in the, and we don't fully understand this, but we know that there are cycles of uh, the ENSO in the Pacific Ocean drives you know so much. That's why it's so cold right now, is we have a, a, another La Nino, another warming time in the Pacific Ocean, and that creates certain weather patterns all over the world. And it, and it, affects, it affects the Atlantic Ocean, it affects all kinds of things. And then it'll reverse and we'll get cold water, we'll upwell and it will cool down. And that will give us a different water, uh, worldwide weather pattern uh, of changes. And it always is changing, but it's driven by the sun. And no, we aren't, the oceans aren't boiling. <laughs> make, Al Gore just makes stuff up. He just says whatever. And again, nobody fact, nobody's allowed to fact check him. I mean, you and I could fact check him. So he put in a lot of work and some people have, but it'll get no coverage whatsoever. And of course, it's just those deniers. We, we should ignore them. <laughs> Well, it's funny because the U.N. chief, Antonio Guterres, he said in July, the era of global warming is over. The era of global boiling has arrived. So it's not just now the oceans. It's the whole globe that's boiling, according to the U.N. secretary general. Well, they're they're, they're upping the heat, so to speak, on, on the climate <laughs> crisis, the pretend crisis, because they want something. And Gutierrez is a socialist. Socialists want, to, and they want a one world government. The UN and the WEF that's meeting in Davos right now, World Economic Forum, they, they'd like to have a global governance without elections and kind of like the EU. They want to have a, 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 a controlling mechanism over all of them so they can do what's going on in Netherlands right now where they're trying to put 3000 farmers out of business where they're trying to make them um, lower their use of nitrogen fertilizers, again, that crazy idea, so they produce less food, and they want to take farms away. And it's because the EU has policies. And then the Netherlands government shrugs and says, well, you know, the EU says we have to do it, so we do. The court says that the EU says, so we have to. So we're sorry that we've got to screw you farmers and everybody out there who buys food. So we're going to do this. You know, it's a great example as well as in Ireland now. There are legitimate proposals in the Irish legislature to kill 200,000 milk cows because of methane and the environment, because they need to do something to save the climate that doesn't need saving. But they want to kill 200,000 milk cows. And that'll just increase the cost of milk and cheese in Ireland, of course, and because they'll have to import that stuff. Or, But that's also part of their plan is don't eat that stuff or make it so expensive so regular people can't afford it as much. So we do eat less of it. Meanwhile, private plane uh, trips into Ireland have increased by double. But we can't talk about that. You know, we can't talk about the top one to five percent of the people in the world emit more CO2 than the other half of us combined. But they're after, <laughs> yeah. after us half, not them. And that's another part of this whole thing that's just the hypocritical people jet-setting around the world to try to control what we do 
uh, on a personal level is just really wrong. And that's really what it's about it is global governance. And that's why, you, you know, the head of the EU or the head of the uh, uh, Gutierrez, he, he's a socialist. He yeah. was the secretary general of a socialist party. He was an elected socialist in Portugal. That's what he's about. So, yeah, mm -hmm. he's turning up the heat to try to get what he wants. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because Joe Biden, as an illustration of how loony it's become, he said in Hanoi in September of last year uh, at a G20 meeting, the only existential threat humanity faces, even more frightening than a nuclear war, is the global warming going above 1.5 degrees C over the next 10 years. Well, We've already got to 1.2, so we're going to see a catastrophe greater than a nuclear war if it goes up three-tenths of a degree. I mean, surely that is just totally insane. <laughs> and, you know, it, even if it went up three or four degrees, I mean, it, you, it, the climate of Florida and California is better. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to denigrate Wisconsin and Canada, but... <laughs> I would prefer their weather. They grow a lot more crops. It's more temperate. And judging by the people moving from one place to the other, more people are moving to those places in the world because they're temperate, they're warmer. It's nicer for them to live there than it is where it's really cold. Um, and, and now we have air conditioning, but it'll make it so expensive. These energy policies will make it so expensive that you won't be able to afford it. Just a little flat factoid on Florida. Florida has more than 12 million, 12 million solar panels that provide just 4% of their electricity, and that's only when the sun is shining. Four, 12 million. Okay, to get to even half, okay, they'd have to, what, 12, 14 times that. We're talking <laughs> trillions of solar panels that only last 20 to 30 years. Then they have to be disposed of and new ones made and replaced. Yeah. Yeah. You might remember the movie Planet of the Humans by Michael Moore. I'll put really? a link to it. Yeah, I'll put a link to it under the podcast on Monday. The, um, the, the point he makes, and he doesn't quite say it in these words, but this is the message, namely that wind and solar are probably the dirtiest energy sources on the planet when you look at how they're made. <laughs> well, yeah, they are. Uh, they, they are very dirty in, in many ways. They need very um, rare metal, metals. And that's why m many of them and most, almost all of I think 80% of the solar panels in the world are made in China. Most of the magnets and the metals are processed and made in China as well because they have very little environmental law. They use a lot of coal power because it's cheap and they use dirty coal. They don't even use clean coal like we use over here in the West. So they put a lot of particles in the air and other things and it's, it's made there. That's one part. But the other dirty secret is, is it really doesn't do anything to lower emissions. In fact, you front end the emissions because when you build them and you make all that concrete, a lot of emissions in concrete and all that steel, you front end load and you have all of that today and it takes and then they have to run for 10 and 20, 30 years before you make it back up on the back end. And then you dispose of them and do it all over again. That's one part. The other part is, is that you still need to have natural gas and coal plants so that when they when the wind stops, you can turn them on or you don't have enough electricity. Uh-huh. And, and which of course, begs, which begs the question: Why don't you just run your grid on gas power in the first place? Why do you have to have a station on idle, ready to take over all the power when the wind stops? Why don't you just have natural gas? Well, that that would make too much sense. And the and the other part of it is is like driving your car and stop and go traffic. 
you get about a third less, generally, about a third less uh, mileage. You burn more fuel going and stop and go traffic. You get the best mileage, the best amount of energy from the fuel you're using on cruise control on the highway or just on highway driving. So we're putting, we're wind and solar turn our natural gas and coal plants into stop and go traffic. And, and people don't understand that you, you, the way we make electricity, thermal generation, is we spin giant turbines that make electricity. So if you needed boiling water at home on a moment's notice, you need to keep it boiling or near boiling all the time. So yeah. you'd be using fuel and using your stove to do that all the time but then you just wouldn't produce any electricity with it whenever the wind blew in the sunshine. But as soon as it stops, you got to turn it back on again. Uh, yeah, it's nutty. And, and so what it boils down to is that we have to use open cycle gas turbines, which are very inefficient because they can be ramped up and down quickly in contrast to using closed cycle, you know, what are the, well, the combined cycle, I guess they combined call it. Cycle. Yeah. Combined, combined cycle. They're more efficient, but they can't use those because they can't ramp, ramp them up and down quickly. Well, and what combined cycle means is on the on the first pass through and burning, they, they create a lot of heat, and then they capture that heat in the influent, and they use that heat again, the combined cycle. So they double use the heat, but you're right, you can't turn that up and down. And the other peaker plants, which are growing in use all over the place, are like jet jet engines. So you just and they burn jet fuel. They burn oil, which is even which is dirtier from their perspective, more emissions per unit of, of electricity produced than you have from natural gas. So and then think about a, a, a giant, very expensive peaker plant that you only use a few days a month. How much does it have to charge to stay in business for <laughs> a few days' use? It's got to charge a lot. And you can't send those people home and say, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put you on notice and we'll only pay you when you come in. No, you got to pay the people who run the thing all the time. It, yeah. it, and then the dirty secret is, is because these things are used part time, the electricity they do send to the electric grid, they have to charge more for it. So because they charge more for it, wind and solar charge more too. Yeah, <laughs> jeez. But Associated Press tells us that uh, back in 2023, in July 8th, actually, the preceding week could have been the hottest in 120,000 years. <laughs> What do you think of that, Frank? <laughs> well, they, they do, and actually, Noah, I backed up off that a little bit and said, "Well, maybe, maybe not. Hold on, just a minute here." <laughs> There's a, a few things wrong with that. One is, is that we had, and they picked 120 year, thousand years, because we're in between ice ages. We're 11,700 years in an um, interglacial period, the Holocene period. It's warmer now. Than it was for the first for the last real ice age where where all of where you are and I am in Wisconsin and Canada we're under miles of ice literally miles of glaciers so for a hundred thousand years where we are right now was was glaciers then it warmed up about twelve thousand years ago and warmed up very rapidly to what we have now and it was warmer then there's a lot of evidence that the first half of the Holocene period is warmer than it is now so they they just again just flat out lied. Uh, mm -hmm. We also know, we talked earlier about the medieval warm period. There is the Roman climate optimum. They still haven't cleaned that off. The, you know, the, the Encyclopedia Britannica is a better place to get a little more honesty there. But even Wikipedia, now that we're talking about it, they might change it real quick. But Wikipedia calls it the Roman climate optimum. It was warmer then than it is now. So they just made this stuff up.
Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because humans evolved in Africa, not in the Yukon. I mean, obviously, generally speaking, humans like warming. I mean, that's why we retire to Florida. So we only have a few minutes left, but I'm hoping we can touch on the Maui wildfires that occurred in Hawaii because they're using that. And, you know, it's sad because it killed over 100 people. They're saying that's caused by climate change. In fact, I'll just read a real quick quote. From the Associated Press, they say Maui's fire became deadly fast. Climate change, flash flood, intensive, invasive grass and more fueled it. Is climate change really causing things like the Maui fires? No, it's not. I mean, the Maui fires were really bad policy. And this is part of what the leftists do. And California is another really great example of that. Um, and, and there's a Stanford professor, and, and actually I'm surprised they let him say it, but it, it may be because he says that we should, California should go back to doing what the indigenous people did, the American Indians did, which was controlled burns. So when there's a lot of fuel buildup, you get big fires. And Canada just had those big fires. There's a lot of fuel buildup. There's dry grass, and they just started fires. And I, Canada may or may not have had a little help in the spring with all of that man-made help, because most of the forest fires are caused by man. And what happened in Maui is they've closed down in, in the sugar plantations, and then they let the, the, all of that grass go wild. Then they didn't do any controlled burns, and they didn't do any cutting or harvesting. They just let this, this dry fuel build up and build up and build up. And then lo and behold, it, it, and it was recognized. The utility said we should do something about it. The government said we should do something about it. Then they twiddled their thumbs for the last few years and didn't do anything about it because they chose to spend their money on emissions controls and closing coal plants and doing climate mitigation instead of protecting people. And then this stuff caught on fire. And then to add insult to injury, they had their the control of the water that they could have let down. Uh, the, the government bureaucrat who's in charge of that held it up for like half a day and said, I don't know, we might we really shouldn't let you have water. Um, huh. to fight the fire. So there, there's a kind of a comedy of errors, and it shouldn't even be a tragedy of errors of error. that cause yeah. people to die. And then that's one of the tropes that, that they do. Now, you know, say, so, well, geez, well, California special. I, all I can tell you is there, there's huge amounts of forests in Texas, South Carolina, Idaho, Saskatchewan, Wisconsin, where they have a lot less forest fires than they do in California where they let it go wild because we actively manage our forests. That's the major thing for forest fires. And that's one of those tropes that they bring out. The other one on the list is, um, you know, the, the drought in California. The drought in California, well, then it rained. Now all the aquifers are full. Now all of the, the, all the lakes are full, overflowing with water. They got, and they got more snow this, this year now. They're getting even more. So they, they tell us one thing, and, and historically, the, the United States Southwest has had 200-year droughts. It, we've gone through, and there's no disputing this. There's been times where it's been a lot drier for a lot longer than it has been now. And we had one back in the 18, 1850s, 1860s, that they had a, a decade-long drought that was terrible, that ended in huge floods and huge rain for a couple of years that flooded Southern California and San Francisco and the area terribly so this is this is nothing new and all of those things happen before there is a lot more co2 it, oh excuse me it's just amazing yeah. what these people are willing to do and say um, yeah well yeah it, it's enough to make you gag eh? <laughs> I mean
it's, oh it's really it's really insane and and they take advantage of these tragedies to actually promote their agenda which is seems kind of evil well you know my guest today has been frank lassay he's a former um i'll just say this is the beauty of editing later eh? we can take out your your cough and we can take out my flub right here uh, so our guest today has been frank lassay he was previously in the wisconsin state assembly and the wisconsin state senate frank now runs a website called truth in energy and climate and we'll put a link to it underneath it's it's very pretty site actually frank it's very attractive and it makes you want to read the stuff you know in particular i so i really direct people to truth in energy and climate.com and uh yeah great place to go so frank thanks so much for being on the show today hey you're very welcome thanks for listening folks and you can sign up for our weekly energy and climate newsletter so you'll get that in your inbox every week and i take uh, stories from around the web and make it easy for you to read and understand and add some commentary so that you can be informed on what's going on in the crazy world of energy and climate and also starting to go into our food supply so folks thanks for listening and this is really important we need to have good, solid, affordable, abundant energy for good lives for ourselves and for our children and grandchildren. And the path that we're headed on now is terrible, and we need to change direction for our own prosperity and your kids and grandkids. So it's really important that you start paying attention to this. Yeah, for sure. That's really great, Frank. So this is Tom Harris and my guest, Frank Lassay from truthinenergy.com, signing out from the other side of the story.